Friends, the best is yet to come. Suffering is unavoidable in this life. It is not something we choose. It is part of the required course. Suffering comes to the young and to the old, to the rich, to the poor, to the atheist, and to the agnostic, and to all ethnicities, to Christian and to the non-Christian. Suffering is the one thing that we all have in common. And it is only a Christian who can truly look at suffering and say, the best is yet to come. And it is not primarily because somehow the Christian has figured it out, the secret of life, but because of the hope that he has in the midst of the suffering. Let me repeat that. It is not primarily because somehow the Christian has figured it out, the secret of life, but because of the hope that he has in the midst of the suffering. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 to 25. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing, growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to see the glory and the majesty and the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. And enable us, Father, to also comprehend the future glory that is stored for us in heaven. Help us, Father, to understand this through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a hope for the sons of God in the midst of the suffering. And that is what we will spend our time considering in Romans chapter 8. What we will see here today is that Paul is presenting to us the hope of the glory that is to be revealed. And the way that he really explains all of life as one, that is to be hoping to the future glory. So the verse that we will be looking at in verse 18 continues from what Pastor Will preached from Romans chapter 8 verses 12 to 17. And so as we approach verse 18, I would like to remind you a couple of features from verses 12 to 17. 
what we saw in the previous verses of chapter 8 was that everything that salvation bestows upon in Jesus Christ. And that was not only the immeasurable forgiveness and being delivered from sins, condemnation, and being raised into his, this amazing position as God's sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. And that is the blessing which we see in the New, New Testament, the blessing of adoption. So we remember how in verse 14, when it says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And 17th verse of the chapter, we are reminded that there is no way to glory apart from suffering. The children of God, the heirs of God, are those who are destined to suffer. Suffering is a requirement, we can say it that way. Verse 16 says, Romans chapter 8 verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It is not like somehow our suffering earns our glorification. That is not the case at all. But because what God has done in saving us, that we are destined for suffering. He took us out of the world, brought us to himself, forever changed our relationship both to himself and to the world, to the lost and dying world. By the cross of Christ, the world is crucified to us. We are crucified to the world. The way that the world now regards Christ is now it regards us. That is why we are destined for suffering. Because just like we were haters of God before the Lord saved us, those who were not yet redeemed, not saved, are haters of God even today. And so the question then comes is that, how are we to deal with that suffering? How do we think about it? How do we regard it? How do we process it in our minds? And what we saw a couple of weeks back is that God means for us to process the suffering in our minds with a right thinking process. And to that end, we'll observe three points from our text this morning. This will be the first point for this morning. When we, when we try to understand the suffering, there is no comparison to the future glory that we will see in verse 18. That there is no comparison to the future glory. And second, Creation awaits the future glory, verses 19 to 22. Creation awaits the future glory, and God's children await the future glory, verses 23 to 25. God's children await the future glory. So the first point, no comparison to the future glory. And Paul is our model. He is our example. Verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's saying, I regard the suffering in this way. And this is our thinking plan. And this, is, this was not a theoretical thing for Paul. Paul lived in suffering. And this is not exclusive to Paul. Now Paul is writing to the church in Rome and for us as believers. Because the same process should characterize us. You see here, Paul is not saying suffering. What suffering? 
No, I don't see any suffering. He does not live in denial. Nor what we have here is not some kind of positive thinking approach by Paul. Paul he is not saying any, he is not saying only positive things so that the suffering will also turn into blessing. But for believers, true encouragement is not found in positive thinking or living in denial. But the encouragement is found in truthful thinking. So Paul says, yes, there is suffering. And I will consider it. What the Apostle Paul is saying is simply true. That amongst those, these Roman Christians, and probably everyone who is here among us in this morning, there is a great deal of the reality of human suffering. There are sufferings in this present time all the world around. You don't have to watch the news very long to know that it is true. All over the globe, men are slaughtered. Women are raped. Children, babies are murdered, kidnapped, and exploited. And this moment, people are staring at death, dying with disease. As we meet right now in this relative moment of peace, there are bombings and wars and genocides raging in Ukraine and Nigeria in Cameroon and all kinds of other places. Right now in North Korea, there are con concentration camps for Christians. There is suffering in this present time around the world. There is suffering in this room. We have had our hearts broken by our failed loves. Some of us face the frustration of undiagnosed physical pain. And others of us, like Nadine, know the diagnosis and that days can barely stand up under the prospect of what the future may hold. We buried loved ones. Sometimes we don't get to bury our loved ones. Some of us right now are suffocating under the financial burdens that we have. Some of us have miscarried again. Some of us can't seem to get pregnant. And some of us can't seem to get married. There are broken relationships. For some of us, it just seems like loneliness is just going to be the lot for our lives. There is suffering because of our own foolish mistakes and decisions. Suffering in our everyday war over our sinful flesh. The struggle of every day trying to do what we want to do and not do what we hate. There are hard marriages, wandering children, betrayals, and of course, persecution that Jesus promised would come from those who walk in righteousness. There is suffering in this present time. And because of this suffering, we feel there is a weight on us. And our text says, God's children are called to consider this suffering differently. There is another way to think about the weight of suffering. Seeing through the eyes of faith, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, listen to that, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says that our present suffering is a light momentary affliction. How can he say that? Is Paul out of tune with reality? What we need to understand is that Paul is not disregarding our pain. Suffering is overwhelming. It is hard. But he wants us to know that one day there will be something that will soon overwhelm the suffering itself. There is something coming that will dry the tears in our eyes and heal our wounds. And that day is coming. And what is that something? It is the future glory. You see, glory means something that is weighty or heavy, very much like how suffering feels sometimes. And the glory that is described here is that what God has in store for his people. God himself is going to reveal his glory to us. And the glory that is going to be revealed is that he is going to transform us more like Christ. The work of God is glorifying us. It is us Christians who can truly face reality and suffering for what it is. And because our glory is so great, we do not even compare the suffering to the future glory. It is worthless. It is pointless. Paul is saying that there is a glory that is going to be so astonishing, so unimaginably wonderful. Now let me help you with this if you're trying to wrap your head around this. Let me invite you to think about the best experience of your life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what comes immediately. But think of the best thing that has ever happened to you. And then if you can try to imagine this, that this has lasted for a really long time, and then take away anything that polluted that experience. In our fallen condition and in this fallen world, there are always those irritants, those little things that agitate us. So take the best thing that ever happened to you and all the things that polluted it or clouded it and imagine it going on forever. And that is still not going to be anywhere close to what we are going to experience in the glory that is to be revealed to us. We can understand this more from verse 16. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So part of the glory that is coming is that we will receive a glorious inheritance. So, so Jesus Christ and his people are so bound together in union with Jesus Christ that God will not see us separate. We are united with him and because of this in glory, we will be heirs together with Christ Jesus our Lord. So my friend, my sister, my brother, this is our hope to the end of this age. I'm saying this not out of my own wisdom, but based on the authority of God's word. We will be there with him in eternity, provided that we suffer with him. And when we suffer with the hope of the future glory. 
Oh yes, friends, the best is yet to come. Are you eagerly waiting? Is this your hope? Is that your treasure and your greatest joy? Yes, we get a lot of hope that the Lord is doing in our lives even today. But the best is yet to come. There is no comparison to the future glory. We are to consider this is the fact that our future is so glorious that whatever suffering in the present is not even worth to be compared to that future glory. The suffering is the instrument through which we enter this glory. There is a way to suffer, a way to endure. And the way you endure reveals that you are indeed the child of God. Now before we move to the next point, friends, let me make this clear to you. This text applies to the sons of God. It is not for everyone. Paul is not trying to comfort the whole of humanity. It is not a blanket promise for all people everywhere. Paul is not saying this to the entire human race. Don't worry, everything is going to work out in the end. That's not what God is going to say. These promises are only for Christians. The sons of God, the children of God, those who are called according to his purpose, as it says in verse 28, those who love God. And friend, if that is not you, it could be, and it could be today, if you would simply turn away from your sin, turn away from being the God of your own life, turn and trying to work out your way into the favor of God, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because as many as will receive Christ to them God gave the power to become the sons of God but if it is not then it can be today and if this is this is you if you have already received this if you already love Jesus Paul is giving further reasons of some hope in the midst of your suffering the second point that we, will, we should notice from this text is that the creation awaits the future glory. Verse 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In, in fact, Paul, in order to help us to understand, he personifies creation here. He puts creation as if it is on some sort of witness stand and the creation adds to her voice to what he has just said. And he says that the creation is eagerly longing for the day when God's children are revealed. Meaning, our day will be the creation's day. When we are liberated, the creation itself is liberated. And it looks forward to that day. And when it is set free from its bondage to corruption, and we will enter the freedom of the sons of God. We are headed towards a day in which everything will be new. This is precisely what we are told from the throne of God in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is how we navigate the suffering of the present season. We do it by looking to the future. We do it by remembering that our future is glorious. We do so by listening to creation itself. Personified, longing for that day when our freedom will be its freedom. And now you come through verses 22 and 25. And what you see is that this thinking process rests on two very important principles. Two elements that are necessary for us to think rightly, as I mentioned earlier. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So he moves from verse 18, I consider, to verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Two things that are necessary for the right kind of thinking to function is knowledge. We know, that's the knowledge, and faith. Not, uh, not feelings as we have seen in the past weeks. Not based on our feelings, we can endure suffering, but knowing something and living according to that. So we know, and then in verse 24 and 25, we live in hope. Hope we will see this morning has to do with faith. There is no right thinking without right knowledge. You have to know what is right to think what is right. But right knowledge will never be enough for you. Because in order for you to think rightly, not only must you know what is right, but you have to believe it. And you have to live in light of it. So this is the process in which we will navigate our suffering. By knowing God has revealed, by knowing what God has revealed, and because we believe in God. And you know, the fruit of that, that attitude shows up in our words, in our actions. The believer's knowledge, let's look at that. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do you see this? Paul is making this about the matter of Christian doctrine. By expanding the thought process outside himself, he says, we know. He is not talking about some sort of personal knowledge, some private knowledge. He is saying, this is how I do it. What he has just done is that he has made this the standard for us all. Verse 22, he says, the creation is groaning. And, he, and what he means by that is that the creation is subjected to bondage in corruption by God. That is God pronouncing the curses as we see in Genesis. And at the same time, this bondage was subject to corruption by God. If you see that verse, in hope, at the very beginning, it was in hope, it was subjected to corruption. You see that in verse 20, that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that is God, in hope. So this groaning has to do with the present difficulty, but also future glory. 
Groaning is a desire that is not yet satisfied. That is what it is. So the world is not as it should be, but it is headed toward a better day. A day that God himself will bring it to pass. We won't bring it to pass. We won't usher in that better day. But God will usher in that better day. Now you see the buzzword around the world these days. TED Talks on climate change. Rising temperatures. Increased floodings. Food and water scarcity. Extinction of species. The ice glaciers melting. And yes, the mankind is identifying that the creation is groaning. Things are not supposed to be in the way that they are supposed to be. And this is because God subjected it in hope that one day in the near future that he will be the one who will make all things new. These lines in 8 verse 20 give the most satisfying explanation to the way the world and the state of human condition is. These words explain why is it that we have disordered desires. These words explain why is it that the world that the good God would make would have things like tsunamis, hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes, and on and on these natural disasters. These verses explain what is wrong with us and with the world. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And those last two words are so important. In hope, the creation itself would be set free. This is significant. The creation was subjected to futility in hope that the creation will be set free. Paul has been talking about what is set free all through this section of Romans. If you just pause and think about it. Look back at Romans chapter 6 verse 6. We know it says that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So believers, this text says that we have been set free from sin. And look at what he says in chapter 7. He says we are set free from the law. So he says we are free from sin and we are free from law. And in even, in, even in eight, chapter 8 verse 1, it's, there, is, there is no condemnation, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. But we are not free from our bodies, these mortal bodies. And what Paul is saying now in Romans chapter 8 verse 21 is that a day is coming when the creation which includes our bodies, the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain, this is a future experience, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is the freedom to obey. That is the freedom to recognize God's instructions and say those are right and that is what I want and then to walk in that way. So in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do you see what is this image doing to suffering here? It says something better is coming about. 
as a result of this suffering. What is the result of the pains of childbirth? Now, every mother in this room can explain this to some extent. When they are going through the process of delivering a child, it is not pleasant. But they go through the intense pain so much so that it feels that they are going to die. But that fades away, that fades out once the child is born. In the same way, new life is coming about. A baby is going to be born. A resurrection life, that is what is going to be brought forth as this whole creation is growing in travail. And what that says is that there is a purpose for this suffering. It is like what the author of Hebrews says, that Jesus himself learned obedience through suffering and was perfected through suffering. God has a good purpose. He is accomplishing through the suffering that you are experiencing. And what we will also see is that there is a limit to this. There will be a day when this will end. The bodies will be raised and the creation will be made new and there is a limit to this suffering. This is not purposeless and not unlimited. Which means this is not just misery. If we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been set free from sin and from the law and one day we will be set free from the bondage of corruption. The way that our bodies are part of creation, creation will be set free. And this brings us to our final point. God's children await the hope of future glory. And then in verse 23, Paul says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I think what he's talking about when he says the first fruits of the Spirit, he's referring to 8 verse 15, when he says, we have received the Spirit of adoption. And then he goes on to say, and he says we groan, that we eagerly wait for adoption. Yes, we have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit has made alive, made us alive. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you, but you have not been fully adopted. And what Paul is talking about is adoption in the future sense. Look at verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. I think he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. So we have received the spirit of adoption and we are awaiting the adoption on the final day that is when our bodies will be freed and we will be raised, we will be made new and all those distorted desires and all that wicked inclination, all that will be gone. All there will be is just pure wholeness and fullness where everything within us resonates God's commands. And everything within us rejoices to everything that God has made new. Friends, we are raised with him to endless life. And till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last, we persevere and wait and look forward to the redemption of our bodies. So this is what we know. And because of these truths, knowledge results in faith right and because of what we know 
what we see here is that in verses 22, 24 and 25, we operate in hope. We function with hope. Romans chapter 8 verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? What Paul is saying that we were saved hoping this is what would happen. We were saved hoping, believing that through Christ's death and resurrection, the power of sin will be broken, the power of the law would be removed, and because what caused death has been overcome, sin, death also will be overcome. And we will be raised, and the world will be purified. In that hope, the hope for the new heavens and the new earth, the hope where we will, we will be in perfect agreement, and there will be no lingering disagreements about different things. There will be no discord. There will be no arguments. There will be thinking back on what we should have done and what we didn't do. But there will be a wonderful harmony and absolute unity, which we have a foretaste right now. But it's not complete. In this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, Paul says. In other words, if we have experienced this now, we wouldn't be hoping for it. But in verse 25, but we, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it enduring with patience. We need all these re reasons to recognize that our present suffering can be endured. We see that creation waits. We see that while it appears to have futility in creation, the reality is that our labor is not in vain. We see that the redemption, that at redemption, we were given the first fruits of our redemption and we long for the redemption of our bodies. And we see that God has given us a great gift, a gift of hope. And so all these lead us to the end. They lead us to see how verse 25 ends. And this is, this is, we wait for it with patience. In hoping for glory, we have a need of patience. The, to bearing the sufferings that we meet on the way to heaven. And this is a posture of waiting patiently. This is a posture of the Christian life. In one sense, our whole life is a training on how to wait with patience. Because we are all waiting for that. So when you are a child, you can't wait to have your birthday party. When you are older, you can't wait to get your driver's license. And then you can't wait to figure out which college you will go. And then you can't wait to get out of college. And then you can't wait to get a job. And then you can't wait to get another job. And then you can't wait to get a spouse. And then you can't wait to have a child and another child, then another child. And then you can't wait to get the results of that medical report. And then you can't wait for the sickness to stop. And then you can't wait to finally see our Lord Jesus. This is how God designed us to be those who will wait. And so the next time, friend, when you're in traffic, move and think about this verse. 
now i am impatient i want to go crazy but help me god to use this somehow to long and groan for the day when you will return help me to think like that when you are in a line or on hold when and whatever it is that you are waiting when you are praying about something and you are waiting for it to do it but do it with an eye on the glory of god pray that you will see things with patience with endurance Isaiah 25 verse 8 He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken for the Lord has spoken he will wipe away our tears and it will be said on that day there is a day it will be said on that day Behold this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation so friends wait with patience isaiah writes he wrote that many centuries ago and paul has written as well and now we are reading that for ourselves for the lord has spoken let us endure with patience jonathan edwards wrote where will all our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in the silent grave and he says resolved to live as i shall wish i had done when i come to die resolved to live as i shall wish i had done 10000 agents hence lord stamp eternity on my eyeballs what jonathan edwards means by that is that he wants god to give him the vision for the things that he is doing in the moment for the things that have happened in the past he wants to see all that through the lens of the future meaning whatever disappointment friends whatever longings that you have may you have the ability to see with the lens of the future in second corinthians chapter 4 chapter 4 verse 18 so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal oh friends that is the best that is yet to come for us let us live by faith waiting patiently to what our good lord has store for us in his son jesus let us pray father we thank you for your son jesus who suffered for our sake so that we can now enter into your rest thank you lord we don't have any condemnation but in jesus we are set free for good works set free to wait with patience even in the midst of our sufferings teach us lord what it means to look to the future glory as we 
go through the trials of various kinds even today. Give your people, Grace Church, the ability to live in this way so that when you will come back, we will have, we will have the redeemed bodies and we would be, and when Jesus would say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.